Welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan, Journey to the Cup edition. I'm Meg Linehan, and this is a special episode brought to you by Google Chrome. Google Chrome lets you save all of your passwords securely and use them on your computer and on your phone. So you spend less time trying to remember your password and more time getting things done. All your passwords remembered like magic. There's no place like Chrome. Sam Mewis is here. She is certainly no stranger to podcasting these days, but definitely happy to have her making her full-time debut, though this is not her athletic debut as she was a columnist with us for the Men's World Cup last fall with this amazing and thoughtful piece about the impact of climate change on football. We would be absolutely silly to not have her back on that front this summer, so stay tuned on that front. But Sam is the perfect person to talk to, not just about the U.S. Women's National Team. Don't worry, we'll get there this episode. But also all of the bigger picture things happening from a player's perspective about wages, professionalism, respect, you name it. Sam just got back from a trip to Amsterdam to visit FIFPro for a conference, so it's the perfect launch point for most of this discussion. So Sam, welcome to the show. All right, Sam, you you just got back from Europe as well. I mean, relatively, right? Yeah. I want to talk to you about the FIFPro conference that you went to. But first, I thought maybe it would be helpful just to for people who might not be familiar. I know that I had Sarah on this podcast previously, but like what FIFPro is and, and maybe specifically how it relates to your work with the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association and how these two things kind of like interact. So in your words, what, what is FIFPro? Yeah, I know. I feel like not enough people know like what an awesome resource FIFPro is. So I'm excited to come on here and have the chance to talk about it in my words, which is probably like way dulled down from what this really should be is that FIFPro is like the global players union. So like all the professional leagues in every country, hopefully across the whole world that has a union for the players in their league is also a member of FIFPro, which can like help connect us all and help us accomplish like bigger changes and things that takes more than just one union to get accomplished. For example, and I know we're going to talk about this, the, for the national teams, the letter to FIFA asking for equal prize money and better treatment from FIFA, like to get that many names and that many teams involved, you need like a govern, like a larger organization. And that's what FIFPro is. I kept, ex whenever I was explaining to somebody like why I was going to Amsterdam, I was like, you know, like US soccer and FIFA, it's like the US women's national team PA mm -hmm. and FIFPro. Like it's like the governing body for the unions, which like comparing it to FIFA sounds horrifying, but like it's, <laughs> for the players. So it's like a, just this huge tool and resource for all players to get to use. That was such a long winded, weird answer. No, but no, but I think it's, I think it is really helpful. And, and also the fact that FIFA pro is not just necessarily women's soccer. It's like every player, there's just, I think a lot of very different perspectives coming into this one actual kind of, yeah, overall union body, right. Of yes. Knowing. And I think this is what's been really interesting in, coming into the sport because I think before I took the job at the athletic, I had no idea that this, that FIFPRO existed, right? Yeah. Like it is kind of an interesting thing. And I think we've been having these bigger convos about women's sports and women's soccer in particular, and how over the past calendar year, like we really saw the power of the union, like our person yeah. of the year at the athletic that I wrote about was the U S women's national team PA and the NWSL PA getting CBAs done and what that's unlocked. But having that kind of, like FIFPro isn't necessarily in there being like, we're going to negotiate your contract, but having to me, it, maybe the, this is where my question comes in is like, 
what is that kind of global expertise and like the fact that they can pull all of these different perspectives yeah give to a player yes well so i think sorry he he doesn't usually do this but nobody else is home right now so hang on one second i might have to just like put him on side buddy okay all right dogs are welcome on the podcast you're gonna have to go outside i love you i love you Sorry. No, we're keeping that in. Okay, great. You know what? I love it. My um, dog is, is so I'm waiting for my dog to also disrupt this podcast, honestly. So he, be he's been really good about it lately. Like I think early on in snacks, you'd always well, I kind of take that back. I think there's always a low growl of him barking or something in the background. Um poor little guy. Okay, yeah. so I think this might not answer your question exactly, but I think when I went to this conference at FIF Pro, mm-hmm. I was going to present with Becca about our U.S. Women's National Team PA journey to equal pay and the CBA and like the steps it took us to get there. And I'm like preparing for it with Becca being like, yeah, all these other players associations should just do this. Like, this is the blueprint. You should just hire Becca and <laughs> do X, Y, and Z. And it was so naive of me. Like I had no perspective on what other countries and other players associations are facing when they are advocating for themselves with their federations. I talked to other players and this is another way that thief pro is such an incredible resource. Where else would I have the opportunity to talk to other players who are facing challenges with their federations? Like the only time we're all together is if we play on the same club team perchance, mm-hmm. or they're at like an awards show or we're playing against each other. Like there's no other time to have these conversations And I learned that my, our journey and my advice for how to do this and how to get there doesn't like apply to everybody. Like people are in such different places. Um, In in the US, we're protected by labor laws such that US soccer has to talk to our union, but in other countries that doesn't exist. So players are being punished for asking for anything at all and their federation won't even sit down with their union. So it totally restructured my and Becca's talk and presentation because we were, we needed to come at it from a little bit of a different place. Um, and I just think FIF pro being kind of that like organization that connects us all, that becomes this network that allows me to have a conversation with somebody from Germany or Colombia, And it kind of like, it allows those conversations to start. And then it gives us all a new perspective on like how we should proceed. Okay, so you go to Amsterdam with Becca Roo, the the executive yeah. director, who has also been on this this podcast before, breaking down CBAs and and all sorts of things. Um, when you're going, so you're saying, okay, our our talk got kind of restructured completely. What was the original goal of going in terms of sharing the the U.S. experience of this? In terms of like, what did you hope to unlock for other teams, and then? How much did that really shift? Also, BRB, because <laughs> we've got a guest Hello. star <laughs> who's begging for attention. All right, I know. Now well, she's going to go on my lap. Okay, perfect. I know. I was like shoving my lunch in my face literally at 155, five minutes before we started. So he, Finn came in here to like beg for food, and then I shoved it all in my face, but he was like, Where is it? And why didn't right. I get any? Yeah. Um, All right. So you're going to Amsterdam. Set the scene for us. Yeah. So originally Sarah Gregorius had asked, invited me. So nice of her. I was so excited to go to Amsterdam and wanted Becca and I to present again on just the U.S.'s journey to equal pay and, and getting this CBA. And Becca and I prepared ahead of time, like 
let's lay out like our story really like we had some pictures up of negotiating it all the way back to like when the pa kind of got this like new boost of life when becca came in and we were talking about starting like a new co and we were um coming up with a mission statement and we were like putting dots of certain colors next to the things that were our biggest priority like um better hotels better travel or was it pay or was it guaranteed pay or was it healthcare like we had to prioritize all these things when you're negotiating a CBA you have to know what's non-negotiable and what's something you'd be willing to move on and we started Becca obviously is like building out this great powerpoint as she does and um i think our goal was to share just our story and our journey and hopefully like lay out a little bit of like a light blueprint for other countries or um leagues who were in like a similar place in a similar process and certainly there are some other unions who are in a similar place and could follow that blueprint loosely and get where they want to get but i just think the thing that changed so much for me was realizing that it wasn't even really comparing apples to apples in some cases um i learned that in germany for the professional players their union they're not voting members in their union because their league is not considered a professional league. And this is Germany. And this I is like to say I feel like Germany has been around as a league forever, right? But, like Germany was one of the like OG yeah. European leagues that that Americans would go to, so there is a real right. familiarity so, with it. So one of the players that I met is in the process they're in the process of creating their own union. Okay. And I think it was just so eye-opening for me to see a country like Germany who like is number two the in the game, world, right? Yeah. So yeah. good. And in their professional league, they can't vote in their union. So I'm, I'm sitting there going, well, then that isn't your union. Like, because that, it just like made no sense to me, but it, yeah. and that's where I was naive is like, there are other countries who obviously don't have the same respect, the same access, the same resources that we do. And in a way it made me be like yeah we fought this really difficult and hard fight for equal pay like go us but like we were starting at third base when other mm -hmm. you know what i mean like we had such an advantage just by being american and having what we have so that was crazy and totally just like recalibrated my views on like how much we need fifpro to advocate and help these other countries like create their own systems where they have power right and there, I mean, what we have seen, I want to talk about some of this news that has really come out of FIFPRO lately, because there's a big report, we'll get into that in a minute. But really, one of the major stories is the fact that FIFA has actually said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna actually give players prize money, right? And the fact that it goes from 30,000 at the group stage per player, which is, in theory, supposed to go directly into their pockets, we've already had a discussion about, you know, FIFA's ready to audit <laughs> federations if it doesn't happen. But from 30,000 to 270,000, if you win the whole tournament, right? Like there is money now directly going to players. And it is in this bigger landscape where, yes, US is ahead of the game, other countries are ahead of the game. But for some of these players who aren't getting paid or don't consider themselves professional, was there a sense like this was kind of happening? That letter had been sent out mm -hmm. via FIFPRO, like, was this a, a discussion topic in Amsterdam of like what was happening in this realm at the same time? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, when we were there, the letter had been already 
well received and FIFA had changed their um whatever policy changed the prize money changed some things and so i think the gathering was it was uh, it was called the women's football summit so there was presentations from all kinds of people it was super interesting but i think one of the things that fifa pro was proud of at that time was like we did band together um this was successful whether fifa pro gets credit or not they didn't really care like they enabled all these players and all these countries to advocate for themselves and i think it was um a little bit of like a celebration of like this is the kind of work that we want to do mm-hmm. um and i just learned so much again like i think i went there expecting to share my knowledge and i learned way more than i had to offer um which was just incredible like the other players that i met with are again just starting from a different place and are so courageous to advocate for themselves when their situations are just so much more like volatile. Yeah. What was the most surprising thing that you learned? Do you think beyond the fact that Germany is not technically a professional league and they can't vote in their own union? Um, that was really shocking to me. I remember just being like, I don't know if there's like a language barrier here, but like, <laughs> that's not, I was, I was shocked. Um, I spoke with a player from Colombia who was one of the players who had posted a video mm-hmm. about the conditions that they were playing in and then she was never called back in with the national team and i just again i know this is so naive of me but i couldn't believe that there wasn't a protection for her um i think about the leaders of the u.s women's national team pa and how they advocated for us so courageously and strongly but were protected enough hopefully to continue to be on the team and get called back in and our voices had to be heard um and i i also will say i think like the fact that we have Becca as our like spokesperson at times is the most valuable thing. Like a few times I was asked like, what would, what would the first step be? Like, what would you say was the most important thing you guys did? And it was hiring Becca. I think she's so smart, so intelligent. She knows this whole industry now, like super well. And to just have somebody who's not a player that, that your Federation can't fire, like, (laughs) is the is such an incredible tool and i to like we would not be where we are without becca she has been such a valuable asset to rpa yeah i mean i think the other piece of this too and i think we've seen this as canada right are kind of going through this battle right now jamaica to some extent like there is this sense of players are now able to use their voices as kind of this collective fashion right and Mm -hmm. the us has always been really great at this and really known like for the equal pay fight, PR mm-hmm. was was one of the kind of like fields of engagement. And the players really won that really well every single time it became a PR battle. But now there is a sense of like Canada, you know, there's always this kind of united public statement, right, that comes from the team. Um, and it feels like at this moment in time, like we're now, you know, less than a month out from the world cup and a lot of things are still happening all of the time on this, mm-hmm. you know, Canada saying we're not going to go unless we have a deal in place. Jamaica. Like, no, I just saw the, that about Jamaica. Salon's mom is running a GoFundMe to try to ensure that they have money. Right. Like there's just still like, we've seen so many improvements. We've seen FIFA step mm-hmm. up. We've seen FIFA pro, you know, get some wins, but there's still every team is kind of in this, different boat like do you have maybe advice for some of these teams that are kind of going through this moment just in terms of what that kind of public unity can do 
Yeah. I mean, I think when you, you say like, if it's public, it, it has to, you have to all be united. I mean, I think certainly there will be moments privately where players are like, whether they're on the fence or there's a little bit of a disagreement, but the, the face of this whole thing really needs to be strong. Like the, the power is in the collective. Like, so we can't have outliers. Um, I think something else that was discussed at the FIFA pro conference was, um, like striking, and Becca was so adamant, even there, that striking is the last option. But if you're going to do it, it has to be everybody. So if a team is considering taking that stance, there's can be nobody, even 50 yeah. players down would have to say no. And how important that is. We actually have seen that with um, in women's hockey a few times. Yeah, exa- exactly. And they, and that it, was exactly where my brain, Megan Duggan calling exactly. like the youth players. Saying, she called like, like, they called like 200 players. I know. I, know. I was, yeah. I was working out with Megan Duggan while that was all going on. And I was so like, Oh my God, <laughs> that it, it sounds so scary, but I, it's so important that all the mm-hmm. players are on the same page. Even if somebody is like 50, 50, like they have to say no. That again is like, according to Becca, she's my source for everything, but that's the last <laughs> option. But publicly, I just think all presenting the same front is the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, do you expect like when you're watching the World Cup this summer, do you think that we're going to see you know, like the the battle over the armband has been so fascinating to me because it feels so silly in the women's <laughs> soccer space as opposed to them. It's just like, yeah, like, of course, the arm like that's uh, duh, of course. But the, it does seem like we might get something bigger. And I, I feel like every time we leave a World Cup in the women's space, we then immediately hear stories about players not getting paid, right? Like they're trying to leave the hotel. There's immediately something after. Yeah. And with everything that has happened kind of over the past cycle, U.S., I mean, I think about going to Wembley, right, and seeing that display of solidarity between England and, and the U.S. before that game immediately after the Yates report dropped, like it just seems like we're kind of ripe for having this world cup provide a platform for some of these bigger issues. Like, do you want to see that? Do you want that to be part of this world cup conversation? Oh, I, I mean, I don't know what I like want. I've guess I've never <laughs> thought about that. I, I assume, and I feel like I just expect that as women, as athletes, like the players I've been surrounded by, like we will advocate for whatever we feel we have to advocate for. And it's a, it's not like a choice really. I think if a player is not getting paid, they need to demand that if there's social injustice, we need to like show that we don't stand for that. I think my, our team, my, my teammates from the U S women's national team, I think feel that responsibility and they want to always do what they feel is right. And so I don't know what I want or what I think will happen, but certainly I think if there's anything unjust going on, we will see a response from the players for sure. Yeah, that feels fair. We'll be right back after this. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. 
All right, I want I want to talk about qualification because I feel like the report that Thief Pro dropped also really does just kind of hit on some of these points, and we don't have to get like too heavily deep into the specifics. I will say it's available online. The Athletic has a really good breakdown, just so that way, like I, I I don't expect other people to read PDFs the way that I read PDFs. But the Ooh. fact that you know they they go out and survey 362 players. Two thirds of these players said that they had to take unpaid leave in order to play in qualifying tournaments, right? Only 40% of the the players surveyed said that they view themselves as professional players. Um, 29% of players who who performed in qualification tournaments were not paid, right? So this is kind of all the bigger picture stuff that we've been talking about. And I want to rewind to your experience for qualifying for the 2019 World Cup and just kind of what did that feel like to you in terms of as someone who has covered uh, a qualification tournament versus a world cup, they feel like two very different worlds mm-hmm. to say the least. Mm-hmm. So what is, what did, did anything stand out to you in terms of like feeling some of those disparities when you go to CONCACAF qualifiers? I think, yes. Um, I think again, our union with the U S has been, active for a long time. So we will notice things certainly in CONCACAF um, that may or may not still continue to be true at the World Cup, the staff that we have um, mm-hmm. on the bench. Um, for example, we we have advocated to have a lot. We feel like that's important for us to play at the highest level. And it is. And fortunately, that has resulted in us having success at qualification tournaments. Um, but I think, and I don't know, I'm not like an expert on this, by any means I'm, I should have done some more research, but (laughs) I do think that we need, this is something Becky always says, like, instead of always pushing the ceiling higher, we also need to raise the floor. And so Mm. that responsibility to give more attention resources to CONCACAF teams is super important. And it falls on us soccer. It falls on FIFA. Thief Pro is certainly a resource to help us advocate for that. It falls on CONCACAF as an organization. Like we want to elevate teams and federations in our region and become more competitive and represent CONCACAF well. So my experience, again, like this was a while ago and I'm not super sure like what else to draw on, but I do think that that idea of raising the floor and not just the ceiling is like super important. Yeah. I mean, it was just really interesting this last round of qualification being in Mexico, right? And also watching Mexico's performance through qualification and knowing that they're the host, these expectations, the fact that Mexico it ha- like has just been struggling to qualify mm-hmm. for tournaments, right? And the fact that now the qualification tournaments have also combined. So you get that top seed getting yeah. both the world cup and the Olympic, which, which so they become <laughs> even so yeah. much more important. Yeah. Right. Because then you're missing out on a full, like yeah. both, both and things. And that's like so. so devastating and like damaging for the team and the Federation and the, the program. And so right. I would love to see, I don't, I don't know like exactly how this works, but whether it's resources from FIFA or CONCACAF or other nations in your region that can help support in some way. I don't know really what that looks like, but um, creating that environment where all the teams who are coming can compete is super important. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. Let's, I I do want to talk about world cup with you too, because 
I mean, to your point right now, right? Like this is going to be the first time that we have a, a tournament with 32 teams, right? And yep. so I think there has always been a little bit of nervousness about bringing 32 teams and what that might do to the quality of the games. But I think what we've seen, you know, Vietnam just held uh, Germany to a 2-1 result. Um, we have seen like these teams that are maybe coming in at lower FIFA rankings, mm-hmm. like really punching above their weight. But w- what do you make of this kind of much larger field, not much larger, but you know, the fact that we're going to 32 for the first time, what are you expecting out of that? Yeah, I, again, this might not be the most like educated response, but I, in order to like grow these programs, they need to be there. And sure, there might be games that aren't as close. I have no idea who or what that might be. Um, But it's so important for teams and players from these countries to, to go to the World Cup, get experience doing that. What, what is the level like? What can the federations, what can they ask for now from their federations that can help get them there? I think the experience of going is so important and it'll be so fun to see new teams that haven't been in the World Cup before get to compete at this level. I'm super excited about it. I think it's like totally a positive thing and will only further elevate the women's game moving forward. Do you have a, a debutante that you're looking forward to the most? Is it Ireland? Oh my Denise. gosh. Yeah, it has to be. I, you guys, Denise O'Sullivan is so good. And <laughs> Ireland is like good. Like I'm really yeah. excited to see them. We had Denise on snacks and we asked her about like the moment that they qualified. And I just can't even imagine how it must feel to do that for the first time, to be representing your country, your family for the first time. And like people need to watch Denise O'Sullivan. Like if you're going to set your alarms to get up and watch a team, like watch Ireland. I'm so, so excited for them. Yeah. I mean, also today's news that Sinead Farley is on that roster. I mean, it's just, there's so many reasons for, for folks in the U S to pay attention to Ireland, but group A in general, I mean, you have Australia, Ireland, Canada, and Nigeria like that to me. It's tough. Is that's the group where I'm just like any any two of those teams yeah. can go like I could not I would never want to make a prediction right now that so, I, that's a tough group for sure yeah all right I want to I want to also of course talk about the U S a little bit I know that you you broke down the roster a little bit with Lynn but now that we've had kind of a couple of days to process it I think we've all also had a couple of days to to process Becky's injury, which has been kind of like the heartbreak of this roster. But is there anything now like, you know, we're on Wednesday, it came out last week. Anything else now kind of sticking out to you in terms of like what this roster might be able to do at this World Cup? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like an awesome balance of experience and like new, young, exciting players. I think that blend is going to just be super important. Like, you're going to have experience on the field, but you're also going to have to have some of these young and new players step up and make a huge impact. But like, they totally can. I mean, I think about Lynn is in such good form. Sophia Smith Mm -hmm. is in such good form. Like I'm, I'm so excited to see them and have, see them have that expectation on their shoulders. Like if they can perform, which I know that they can at this level, it's, the U S is going to do great. And I'm, they have Alex up there. They have Pino, they have Kelly, they have Julie crystal. They have a Lindsay, like players who have been through this before and also players who are like super hungry to prove that they're going to want to be here again. Um, so I think it's like, great. I think it's just going to be again, like that balance of experience and then like hunger to like prove yourself. So I, I'm like thrilled and really excited to, to see them play. 
What do you think of of Flacco as a head coach? And I, I don't want to like get you in trouble. Like you have to maintain your relationship <laughs> with him, obviously. But you know, I, I spoke to him for a really long time ahead of one of the April games against Ireland, and just trying to, you know, I've known him since day one of the NWL, right? Like yeah. it feels like to me, Flacco really hasn't changed who he is as a person, and and he is still kind of the same guy and the same coach, just with like a much bigger technical staff, but. There is, I think, kind of, I, don't, I find the public reaction to him very interesting, but he has always seemed very steady. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what what is your um, approach, like, in terms of, like, that relationship that players have with a coach during a World Cup? Yeah, I mean, the only experience I have is the one World Cup that I've been to, which obviously yeah. went great. So, like, <laughs> I... That's all I know. Um, I think the players have so much respect for Vlaco. I think I've learned so much from him technically and tactically. There are there are things now when I'm watching the game that he showed me, whether it was in film or out at the field, that I'm like, oh, so this person should have done this because the pressure was coming and she should. So yeah. when I think about coaches that I've learned stuff like that from, I'm always so grateful because they made me a better player. Um, and I think that that's totally true of Vlaco. I think again, like this world cup is just a huge opportunity, but I have full faith in the team and in the staff. And I think, obviously I think black was like a great person and I'm just excited for him to have this experience as well. Yeah. I mean, it was always, it, it's just very funny because I think he is so even keeled that like mm -hmm. when you do get like that kind of <laughs> like to me, I, I always like to compare him to Leslie Nope with those like little binders. Like he's just so <laughs> prepared at all times. So it will be, I think very interesting to see him in a World Cup setting just because it really, you know, qualifying is one thing, but qualifying is in a World Cup. So Yeah, well, and to that point, I think in, you have to be super prepared because you could get a team you weren't expecting to get. Like yeah. crazy things happen and you have to have a game plan that you can implement in three days, uh, like ready to go. And I will say, I think one of the things, and actually Rose and I talk about this all the time, our game plan against France at the 2019 World Cup was like, so genius and it worked and i we've at the time were like oh my god like they are geniuses <laughs> and i just think having a moment like that where you like are so prepared for an opponent mm -hmm. that you kind of do something like a little bit unexpected or wild but it's because your coaches and your staff like have watched hours of film they know what's going to work and then you pull it off you need a moment like that like to go through a tournament and get all these wins and all these results, like you need moments that somebody somewhere has spent hours preparing for, even though it might not happen. So right. I think that that's just like a, in the plus column for the technical staff now. Okay. Final one for you. One player, not us, one player to watch and you can't pick Denise O'Sullivan. Oh. I talked to her about her. Like one player for, for folks here to watch in this world cup. And I mean, can I, can I say Sam Kerr? <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. Well, I would definitely say Sam Kerr because I love her and she's obviously so good. She plays for Australia. If anybody is living under a rock, Kira Walsh for England is like mm -hmm. literally my favorite player ever. I got to play with her at Man City and I've been raving about her to anybody who will listen ever since. She just won Champions League with Barcelona and she's just like the smartest, most technical player. And I think she's going to have like an incredible tournament. So I'm really excited to watch her. Okay. And Lauren Hemp from England too. She's okay. Just watch out. Okay. Do you have a dark horse pick that you think could really make a run? 
Mm, I don't know about a dark horse. I don't, I'm not sure. I'd have to look. Yeah. I wish I was prepared for that question, but like <laughs> I, you know, like a Brazil, I think, I was, you know, Australia might, they're hosts though. Like I know. So I don't know be. if I'd even call them a dark I, horse. Like, yeah. I feel like there's eight or 10 teams that I could conceivably see winning this. Like that's same. the thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the U S is going to win. Do not get me wrong, but we were running through some lists, a list of teams on snacks to be like, they could win. And it was right. so long. I know it's but good. It's cross good. them all off. The U S uh, has yeah. got it. Okay. That's the perfect, <laughs> perfect place to stop. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. I will, I will uh, allow my dog to also be involved in the goodbyes. Good. But we appreciate your time and we are very happy to have you back as a columnist during this World Cup. As I'm well. excited. So. I know. I don't know if people know this, but we did a column. Meg and I did a column together for the Men's World Cup and Meg saved me. <laughs> I had some scraps written down in a Google Doc and she just came in and fixed it right up. So it will be a co-written column. <laughs> Your name is on it, but I will help. I will help. But definitely looking forward to it. Thank you again for the time. And yeah, for anyone listening, make sure that you check out Snacks. I'm sure every episode is an adventure. <laughs> I feel like that's the best Thank way you. to put it. I never quite know what to expect, but in the best I possible know. way. It's crazy. <laughs> it's the I love it though. It's so fun. Thank you, Meg. This has been Full Time with Meg Linhan, Journey to the Cup edition, a special episode brought to you by Google Chrome. Google Chrome lets you securely save your payment info so you can check out quickly and conveniently. There's no place like Chrome. <laughs>